Welcome to the Boston's Big Four podcast. New news about music and sports every week, sometimes. We are back. Episode 87, Boston's Big Podcast. I'm thrilled about this one. I can't even, I can't even lie. This is pretty exciting. Uh, we've both been Spose fans since since 2010, I think. I, I have at least since high school. I'm awesome was obviously the first song yeah. I heard, but I just looked the other day. I found in a Facebook post. I posted can't get there from here back in 2011 and tagged all my friends and said, check this dude out. He's from Maine. So that's where it started for me. Um, and it's been quite a journey since then. You've dropped a lot of projects. Um, what can you tell us about kind of that, that initial stage? I'm awesome. The success that it had. And I've heard you talk about that song before. How it's kind of been a blessing and a curse. So talk, we'll start with that song. We'll talk about that song and, and the impact it's had on your career. And totally is that actually the beginning or do you, is that really your, well, you had an song? album before that, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. That, I, that's, a, that's a great question. I guess just to real summarize, to get you to I'm awesome. I'm, I'm awesome. Happened very early in my career as a yeah. rapper. Like I literally had started rapping in 2008 or I saw, well, I started rapping years and years before that, but I put out my first album in 2008, February, 2008. From yeah. Posturously Dank. And I put it out locally in Maine and I, I was just getting started. Like I was ju- just got my out al- my first album out. I maybe sold, 200 copies, reprinted it, maybe sold another 100 or so copies of this album. And so I had like a little local love, you know, locally. And then I, I, so my next thing I go put out is this song, I'm Awesome, which is, I mean, we're like one year into me being like trying to do it. So mm-hmm. it's like, I've never been on tour. You know, I've ne- I have very few, can- I don't know anybody in the record industry, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I'm, I'm just getting started. It really, and so so I put out the song "I'm Awesome" and it blows up. Becomes what's funny because like as we have this conversation, that shit is popping up in my time, my memories, like my Facebook memories, yeah, and my like you know Instagram or I'm sorry, uh, like Twitter memories and stuff, like all these uh, posts from that time. So this week, you know, eleven years ago uh i'm awesome debuted on the billboard chart at like number 34 and ti was it was like a, a whole paragraph about ti and me debut like he ti's back on the chart because he's out of jail and a main rapper yeah. with his modest single i'm awesome debuts <laughs> at number blah is like he moved thirty three thousand singles in the first week of its release and so i was like which is crazy and so so yeah so it goes from me just trying to do it locally and it's awesome these are all new new highs for me i'm like playing my first show you know with leads down in boston like you know i must have rapped for like the people performing at the show like it was a tuesday night in in uh cambridge and there was almost nobody there except like the dudes performing and their girlfriends and there's like and leads (laughs) has everybody paying to be on the bill with like 10 opening acts you know and i was one of them and i got up with like my hype man mckenzie who was like this kid i worked with he was my drummer in my band too uh the danks back in the day mckenzie and me we get up we spit these songs and we impress all the guys who are at the show you know all the other acts and all the other boston djs and whoever's in the building and leads is in the sound guy goes to leads and he's like yo this kid's actually good and so these are like big first (laughs) moments for me you know and then like i'm playing the university of maine farmington and that that was as big as it had got you know at that point like i I played in my hometown i played in portland i was starting to meet people but like um 
I was not ready to sign a record deal. The problem with that is I was 23, 24 right. at the time. And I had just had a baby, my first kid. I just had a kid in, in this time when I'm 23, which is, you know, uh, life changing anyways. Mm. You know, I drop out of college. I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm like on unemployment and I'm working at the same time, which is illegal, you know, yeah. just, <laughs> you know, and so I'm doing all this and we have our baby and I'm trying to go back to college or whatever. And then I'm awesome blows up and I get offered, you know, a record deal, which I mean, even just the first, I signed the first offer on the first deal. It was I don't like, blame you. I, don't blame I was so you. broke. I was so yeah. fucking broke. I was saying to someone the other day, I was like, before that record deal, I'd never had $2,000 in my bank account. Right. At once. Hmm. You know, this was like this. I was I had a kid and I had no money. I was overdrafting. I was like, I was like debating, like asking family members for money, you know, to like survive at that point, you know. And so um, so I'm awesome. You know, I signed the deal and I start making the album for the label. And so throughout the year, the single does great. Um, But the whole time they're just waiting for the second single. What's the follow up to I'm right. You know, it's like, okay, Macklemore, here's your thrift shop. And this is like. Where do we go back? Yeah. So this is what you spoke about on Pop Song, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote about that on this song, Pop Song, which ironically, I got one of the major companies to fund the video for shitting on the other major company. uh, (laughs) Nice. But but yeah, yeah. So I lost the deal and I made Pop Song about that, kind of. And so that, I look at all that, all that experience, all that getting thrown out into on radio stations across the country, doing interviews on all these different stations, um, all these new highs, new feelings that are so that a lot of art, you know, a lot of artists, you know, work for years and years and years and years and then get that thing. Yeah. I got that thing way too early, A, to like truly appreciate it for what it was and to understand what it was because I wasn't, I was naive. You know, I was right. young and I was naive and I was desperate for money too. And so, you know, so I look at that, that year that I was signed to Republic universal Republic as like college for the music industry, like crash course in the music industry. So then by the time you, you do me a big favor and you share, can't get there from here, a rap song I put out on my own Mm. and a video I paid for with $5,000 I had from my record deal, which is way too much to pay for that video, by the way. Um, (laughs) I noticed that everything goes up when you're on a, it's like, Oh, you know, we'll just throw this guy $2,000 for this $200 beat. Yeah. You know, stupid. I was stupid. And so, (laughs) um, so anyways, you know, but you shared that video for can't get there from here. And that was my life or death moment in the time where there wasn't really Instagram popping and there wasn't really, um, definitely wasn't TikTok or anything of the sort where you can kind of just like grow off your personality. It was like content. You need to share content, you know? And so, and was this um, just sorry, just to clarify, this came sure. after I'm awesome, right? They approached you after the success of that song, and then we're kind of like expecting similar material. In well, in a way, but kind of incorrect because it was like I put out I'm awesome independently on my own, yeah. and then they came in, swooped in, and were like, We want I'm awesome, and they bought I'm awesome basically off me. Oh, I see. Okay. And so and and snapped their fingers, and you know, Monday morning, March fifth 2010 that song's on every radio station in the country because they add this label songs yeah 
That makes sense. That's they yeah, had the Taylor Swift unclear. song, the weekend song, so they had the Spose song. It's like a reciprocal relationship with radio and them. And so, anyways, so they put that out, and then, I, then yes, it's like okay, where's the second single? But because the single did so good contractually, they had to pick me up for the album. They had to be like, yes, we exercised the album portion of your contract. Here's another. $75,000 they sent me, you know, to start the album. And so I'm, I'm making the album and then I get dropped because we never make the big, like, like I said, the never the, the second single that solidifies the artist beyond the, like, here's a funny song. Right. You know? So unfortunately that's what most people know of me, think of me, uh, judge me as if they've ever heard of me at all, which right. is and, and, and so, I think I think that's why I shared can't get there from here, because I wanted to show my friends that you were an actual rapper and not just a parody rapper. Like well, that's, that's, that means everything to me, man, that, yeah. that you doing that and maybe one like point six percent of the other people who ever heard I'm awesome doing that allowed me my essentially to start my career. Right. You know, as a soul running my own business as an independent rapper, which I've done ever since, basically. And so that was like the life or death moment. And for most most people who would have been fans of me, if they had just heard the stuff, if they had heard. Yeah, exactly. For me, if they had just heard the rest of Happy Me, if they've heard Christmas song, you know, if they had, you know, these right. other things. And so. um, So, yeah, most of them didn't. Yeah. You know, and so that was. And that was how I started from the ground up, kind of, you know, it's like back down to the ground and then you start from the ground up. Right. So you mentioned that uh, working with that label was kind of like college for the industry. And, and now you're running with on your own label. Can you uh, like, have you taken any of the things you learned from that time? And, and did you kind of mold that into your own thing? Or did you really start ground up, I guess, sort of like tooth and nail fight your business into what you've made it? No, I'd say 100%. I, I took all the lessons I learned from that experience. Yeah, I think yeah. one, of, I think some of them are kind of these big, well, because honestly, man, that was like a, a big existential crisis moment for me. I was 23, you know, and I'm like, it's just way before anybody normally has this reckoning with like who they are and what they're going to be, you know? And so like, I think I failed in a way. It's like, I didn't know I was, I didn't know how to be true to myself in the midst of all this need for a big second single, I didn't know how to stand up for myself in studio sessions and be like, no, we're making a fucking Spose song. This isn't like a, a song you could pitch to Jason Derulo. I'm not trying to write one of those. I'm trying to write this. Course, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the balls or the, or the wherewithal or the, or the, or just the experience to know how to do that. And to even craft the vibe of who I'd have, if, if you got all this big major label money, you can, you and your management or your team or whatever, and you're, rep at the label can dictate where all that money spent. Like I could have been smarter with all, I didn't know any of that, you know? And so, and I, you know, I didn't know that like, it also was a weird time in the music industry too. Cause like uh, two artists I consider around this time that were coming up right when I was coming up um, that had interesting trajectories that I learned from that I wish I had known like years before. One of them was Drake and the other one was Mac Miller at the same time as me, Mac didn't go uh, major label. He didn't yeah. go major label when he had all the buzz and he was on all the blogs and he was making, and him funding his own videos, just doing these little DSLR videos, which became the standard in the game. Like, you know, that became the game for like eight years was like Mac Miller doing those videos, mm -hmm. you know? And then 
um odd future seeing odd future like all these things happened in that like 2010 2011 we were were just talking about this i think on the last episode 2010 well i think we said like 2009 to 2012 so many artists came up around that time that are big now like nipsey hustle drake big sean j cole kendrick like they all came up in that time it's crazy True. And it's like, oh, so for me, like the big ones that I learned from are not even artists, maybe that I so much listen to all the time as artists who I watch their career and how they moved, you know. Um, and I think another one that's almost the opposite example is a B.O.B. Yeah. B.O.B. was this big underground. I used to be a big B.O.B. fan until he said the earth was flat. Well, and so, <laughs> and uh, good for B.O.B. I mean, B.O.B. is probably doing fine right now. You yeah, know? I'm sure yeah. he is. If I'm doing fine, he probably is too, you know? I'm sure he's and, doing great. He just uh, but, lost me with that. But, I mean, he kind of, he had to, he did what everybody did in that time, which was sign the big major label deal, do the, like, pop rap singles. That right. works if you're, like, Fat Joe. That doesn't work if you're actually you know it's like he it's almost like a deal with the devil for bob it's like everybody knew him for these hit singles and he did the major label thing but you could tell that he was always trying to backlash against it Mm. you know and and um and you know reclaim his career you know in a way and so like i was watching all those dudes and how drake you know drake was independent for a minute it was like before you know what was drake gonna do was like the big question you know yeah and just but just watching the way they released content and watching the way they released mixtapes, not major label albums. And you didn't need, you know, and so, you know, that all kind of dictated what I did there going forward with my career. Once I kind of had the reins again. Right. So then you dropped happy medium in 2011. Uh, Talk about that album and what that meant for, for your career. Yeah, that album. I mean, I, that was a real dark like place for me, man. That that yeah. like when I dropped that album because like I just lost the deal right before I was about. I thought I was about to drop my major label album. Lost the deal. I did a pilot for MTV that I got because of I'm Awesome that uh got didn't get picked up. So I had all these like almost highs, and then I was like real low. And like I I was starting to get I was like spending my money kind of recklessly and like uh not super recklessly but i was you know i was just blowing through the money because i thought there was more coming i was like yeah i yeah i'll buy oh they're dropping some supreme sneakers let me buy those you know like whatever you know and um you know we're going out to the wells beach steakhouse all the time you know like and and just (laughs) and just living living great because i i you know i just signed this deal i'm like whatever you're you're the king of maine you deserve to live great I mean, we we all do, but (laughs) yeah. uh, So anyways, I dropped happy medium after I get dropped and I, you know, uh, I had, uh, I just remember it as like such a sad, it wasn't like a great moment, you know, like, all right, I lost the deal. What songs do the label not own? Let me throw them together. Pop song can't get there. Luckily I still had classics, (laughs) you know, on deck songs that pay me to this day. Yeah. Yeah. On that album. Great album. Thank you. And so luckily they didn't own those songs, you know, so I put those out and, you know, some people like you, for example, were fucking feeling it, you know, yeah. and came to support me. They came when we put out, we smoked it all to mixtape after that, you know, and then, but the big turning point for me, which is the first album I really made after all this that I wholly made from the jump um, after all this experience was, um, and I had, I mean, I had like a, I, 
issues with my wife with my wife even in this time like it was like it was a real crazy time like like uh you know and like i like do i'm like it was just sad it was like a sad time yeah. so to bounce back from all this stuff and start writing this like really honest like honest album about it which starts with like if there really is a big fluffy jesus in the clouds let him know right now that i take it all back like the, to start writing that album you know that was like in my eyes like phase two right yep. that was like the now it be, now we begin again okay so before i had heard you I don't think I knew of any rappers from Maine, to be honest. Um, How many do you know now? I know a few now. Actually, a good amount now. A lot I've learned through you. Shane Rise, Cam Groves, Jay Spin, Sarah Ooh. Violet, all them. Um, yeah, there's a whole gang of them now. But it started with you. So before you, was there a hip-hop scene in Maine? Were there rappers in Maine that you knew of? 150%. Yeah, I mean, there, it was... But when I was coming up, man, uh, I was in Wells, which is a town, which is a town probably like half an hour south of Portland. So we only have like 10,000 people in our town. And, yeah. and Port Portland's like Portland and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, are like the nearest, you know, spots where you could go find people who want to rap. And so right. like there was a website called mainhiphop.com that was out when I was um, in high school. Yeah. So I go on mainhiphop.com as like a forum and I'd like post my songs and I'd meet people on there. And so I'd go up to Portland and I'd rhyme with them. And so I, I met these dudes, you know, there was this rap group um, called Ab Abador, like, at, but it was Abattoir, which is like Slaughterhouse in French. That was like their rap name. Okay. These dudes are like serious MCs. Like these dudes are rapping their ass off. And it's like, it's almost like Jedi mind tricksy kind yeah. of vibe, you know, but they're all rapping and it's one kid ghost, you know, invites me up and I go rap with them. And so right out the gate, you really had to be able to rap. It wasn't like there was a low standard of rap around my parts. It was like, right. damn, those guys can rap. There's a lot of freestylers, battler cats at that time who could rap really well in, in, um, in Maine as well. You know, it, but what a couple big things happened in hip hop from Maine, the group Anticon, which is like a underground hip hop collective, mainly associated with like San Francisco, Alias, Soul, you know, all these dudes are from Maine. They're Mainers. And so, okay. they, so, so Anticon's from Maine. So I knew that coming up in high school. I'm seeing them in magazines. Yeah. Anticon. I know these dudes, they went, you know, they're from like Gorham or like Wyndham or something, you know? Interesting. And, and then this rapper Poverty, who's now Tommy Kane, he, he signed a, he was a really, really good. He just was like shitting on me recently. So I hate to even give him these props, <laughs> but like, uh, po he was Poverty. And when I was in high school, he could he was a great rapper he could rap yeah. his ass off and he it was right around the same time as eminem so everybody's looking for the next eminem and so he gets signed by like fucking somebody huge like jimmy Iveen or something signs him really? you know yeah. deal and so he gets the million dollar early 2000s advance he buy, blows it all buys the escalades he makes an album he's got songs with alchemist he's got songs with jay dilla wow really i think i'm pretty sure I was not hit. Some of his stories are not true. So I don't know if all, <laughs> but so how would it, what if, what if someone takes that advancement money and just buys like investment property? Does that ever happen? Do people do those things? Smart people. Pro I bet chance the rapper did that when he first got Probably. like half just... money, you know, <laughs> smart people do that. The problem is the industry and American capitalism are all predatory towards like people our age. 
And mm. so, I mean, Kendrick talks about it a lot, specifically in from Kendrick's perspective, he's talking to black people, but he's talking about how America, you know, on, on this, on track one onto Pimp a Butterfly about how America victimizes, you know, us for our debt to get us in debt to, oh, you know, and all this stuff. And so, you know, I think it, the, the game's all rigged to get us all, get all the young artists to get pimped out, blow all their money, not realize that the deal's a trick, you know, not know that they should buy investments and properties and, you know, assets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, because you mentioned owning your masters is really like bottom line. That's the key to collecting all the money you can get. Uh, but I just also wonder too, like, is there, there must be some labels aren't uh, all evil, but there is like an extent to which it's better for the artist to not be with a label, but obviously like the traction that they can give you is totally different, but I did cut you off. I'm sorry. You were no, you're right. I mean, that's another great point. Uh, nowadays it's much different in 2010. Well, that's kind of why I brought up all those guys, Mac Miller, you know, uh, Drake, all the, you know, all the, uh, B.O.B. is because D that is all, that all changed the industry. The industry has been so different in my 10 years, but the, but the advantage to that man is that my whole life, just as like, I'm 35, just my whole life coming up, things changed constantly. Things always change. So I was always ready for the, I'm always ready for the changes in the industry, but like, I think all my generation specifically is very like skilled at that at adapting to change because yeah. I even just like VHSs to DVDs to mm. Blu-rays to you know to I mean to smartphone like we didn't have smartphones 15 years ago which is yeah. insane exactly and so as it shifted from I've been in almost like four different levels of the uh, eras of the the way the music industry works now from CDs to the iTunes era which is like. 2011 to 2015 yeah and then the spotify streaming era you know that is that is now morphing into this other like tiktok era you know and so yeah yeah it's just been wild it's been it's been fucking wild but um you know i mean i i, I look at all you know i just keep doing the same thing though so it's like you know I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm making the right move. Like I haven't grown the fan base to this astronomical, you know, Gillette stadium level that I saw in my mind, even though I'm always trying to, you know? And so I wonder if that's held me back that I kind of stuck to this plan of here's a really in-depth album I've put out my heart and soul into over and over and over again. Whereas, but I also noticed from Kanye you know, all the all the money is outside of music. All the rich rappers you've ever heard of are rich from other shit. That's true. Mm. They like to make you think it's all from the music. <laughs> it, maybe it is if you own your masters, you know, but it's, yeah, it's like, Jay, nobody was talking about Jay-Z being rich, you know, from music. He was rich because he sold drugs. And then he was rich because he sold Rockaware. Right. You know, yeah. It was like, Dr. Dre beats. I was watching an interview with Rick Ross the other day. He owns like a bunch of restaurants and stuff. Like he's he all Wingstop, right? He owns Wingstop. Yeah. And checkers and rallies too. Yeah. That's where the money's at. So after this next album, I'm fucking done rapping for like a year. <laughs> I'm just doing other shit. I'll get way richer. Yeah. I, there you go. It's funny you say that. Cause now I'm really thinking about it. I, I just heard like Waka Flocka was on a podcast talking about how he has many different businesses going on. It's, it's, it can't, it, it must be very common to have, I mean, what is the saying? Like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That doesn't apply to what any 
one business, you know, or any business you want to just have everything you can, if you're able to do it. Flocka. Yeah. Wow. I was a big Flocka <laughs> fan back in 2012, back in my party days. Flocka beats. You rapped on a Flocka beat? Just for like a mixtape. Oh, okay. I think I even put it on it. I have it somewhere. But yeah, yeah. Because it was that was who was hot 2011. Walker. Right, right. You know, but you do have a mixtape. You do have a mixtape that's all Outcast beats, correct? I sure do. Yeah. Stankonia. Stankonia. That's a special one. I wish. I wish I could put that on streaming. I wish you could too. It's but a obviously, one. obviously you can't. But yeah, um, obviously you're a huge Outcast fan. Yeah, um, I actually released that, that on. Um, I believe it was October 31st, 2013, the day the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Nice. I think nice. I, put, I put it out. I was like, Red Sox won. Here's Danconia. It was, <laughs> I was planning to anyways, but I made it feel, you know, it worked. It worked. Yeah. The whole city erupted that time. That was nuts. Yeah, People were like climbing on light poles and stuff. Oh, I missed those days. Social distancing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You can do that again. <laughs> I can't wait to riot again. Right. <laughs> there oh, were man. two riots that year because, oh, no. Yeah, because they rioted. Uh, not There's rioted, been a lot. We partied after the Boston Marathon dude got um, caught. Everyone in the, in the city. I remember that. Party. I remember yeah. that. That was fun. <laughs> it was a big Boston part. I remember. I was just thinking the other day. Uh, I remember that. Remember the day they like locked down Boston to find that oh, yeah. dude. It must have oh, been yeah. that day or yeah. the day before. It was within that, was that week. Yeah, it was so annoying and being in the city because I was in dorms that like you couldn't go like to just a different dorm. You had to stay where you were. So some kids were like stuck in other dorms. It was very weird. Yeah, that is weird. The, well, so I was driving home from tour. I was like, um, it was like I just finished tour like the day before somewhere. And we we're driving back to Maine and we drove through all that section of Massachusetts because I like took the wrong road. I ended up on 90. I forgot to like get, take, you know, go by Worcester or whatever. And yeah. um, so we ended up driving through all that and it was so weird and like surreal. It was, there's nobody anywhere, nobody on the highway, nobody on. Yeah. And they were like doing random searches too. Like they could have stopped you and just been like, are you the guy? <laughs> Cause I look, I look a little um, Chechnyan. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, anyone that just had a long, a little bit of long hair, you were a yeah. suspect. I mean, that was a crazy time. I mean, everything. that was that was. COVID's a crazy time, but that was also a crazy time. This, I mean, I bet crazier seen. times are on the way. I'm yeah, sure I it's gonna only going to get crazier. That never settles. It never seems to completely settle. Right when you think it's chill, we start worrying about turtles, and then everything gets crazy again. <laughs> I wish. I, I wish when, I could just worry about turtles, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when things are good, you're just kind of like, oh man, we got to save these turtles that seem to be getting straws in their nose. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> oh, 55 people dead at the, you know, at the fucking Apple store. Yeah. It really puts the whole turtle thing in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Fuck, <laughs> I want to say turtles. I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, we'll man. get back Walk to that. Slow. Walk slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Humanity is just one big government. And it's like, we're going to get to it, but we're not really sure. I don't know what you meant by that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. <laughs> Bureaucracy, dude. Red tape. All right. You're losing wow. me. You're losing me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you're a huge Celtics fan, obviously. Mm. Massive Celtics fan. I am. As am I. Um, when did you 
become a Celtics fan. What was the first season you can remember that you were really engaged with the Celtics? Well, so what really got me into the Celtics was the year we came back against the, I want to say the New the Nets. Jersey Nets. In 2002? Yes. Yep. That was like the first time I remember consciously like looking when the Celtics were going to be on. Mm-hmm. You know, and then kind of from there through the Paul Pierce era, you know, I, I went to college in Boston 2005, 2006, 2007, that whole time, yeah. you know. And so I lived in the North End and I had you could get ten dollar balcony seats to see the Celtics play Wow! with like our student discount or something you know and so we'd buy 10 game passes and we go watch them lose by like two or three points every single time (laughs) Paul Pierce trying to will us back into the game with free throws and missing one you know and like (laughs) and so I remember those days yeah and you know I was just like I was really into the Celtics then really into and stuck with you know obviously and then what happened from there um I remember we got Rondo and that was like, a, I liked Rondo, obviously that was cool. But yeah. then, um, I mean, the year we got KG and, yeah. and Ray, Ray Allen, Eddie house, James Posey, we got all these people yep. in one year. It was like, uh, I mean, it was just incredible. So that was, you know, I was already, I was already watching all the games for the most part, but like yeah. that year, really that year, obviously yeah. like just Celtics became like my, I mean, cause favorite. they were the worst team in the league the year before that. So yeah. that year, just like everybody was on board. People who hadn't even watched basketball before were rooting for the Celtics. Like it was great. I loved it. Wish we could go back to those times. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, every, I feel like it's a little bit like, and this is probably going to get me canceled. It's a little bit like nine 11 where some, this big thing happens and it's this crazy, you think it's a forebearer of things to come. So you're always waiting for it to happen again. Yeah. You know, thinking we're going to win another title, thinking we got it. We're always we're always close. We're always in the conference finals. We're always, you know, oh. it's, and we've so had I'm so many waiting. close calls. Yeah. I'm always waiting for that next that next big attack, you know, that yeah. big, you know, in a good way though. You know, yeah. it's like uh it's the opposite of 9/11. Right. Right. I follow. Uh so <laughs> thanks Owen. So <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just became, I just fucking love the Celtics. And, and I mean, I'd been aware, I was born in July, 1985 is the year Celtics lost, I think, a title to mm-hmm. the Lakers. The one the you, next it was year. right in this era. And so I was, you couldn't grow up and not be aware of Larry Bird. But I mean, in the mid nineties, Celtics sucked. And like oh, my, the nineties, the nineties were a dark time for the Celtics. Yeah. We skipped the, we should have skipped the nineties. And so. Yeah. So I had Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, you know, David Robinson jerseys, you know, right. Bogues, you know, type of shit. So, you know, but the I was always into the NBA. But, yeah, for me, um, and basketball is the sport I like the most anyways. Like, I just love basketball anyways. I like football a lot. You play basketball I, at all? I played up until I was, like, 10, you know? Okay. like oh, all right. So that was it. Like, I barely <laughs> – no, I played – I played soccer and in the winter I didn't play. And then in the spring I'd do like track or lacrosse, you know? So I never, yeah. I, but I did play basketball with my friends after school, you know, a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, but I, w- I almost wish I could like go back and redo it now, knowing what I know about basketball. Cause I, basketball is really a thinking game, you know, mm-hmm. and like a, 
I love playing basketball against someone now after having – like even my neighbor. Like we have a little hoop. We go play some – he's actually a really good basketball player. I'm bad, but I'll play some good defense. Yeah. I'll try to, you know. And um, and even with him, I realize now, you know, just the inherent basketball player instinct of, all right, let me see what this dude does and then start taking it away. You know, it's like he does this, you know, oh, he's got that move. Okay, well, I'm ready for that now. He, he did yeah. that. I mean, you know, it's like I know that now. I wish I had known that like growing up you know, about basketball, because it really is kind of breaking a player down. And, you know, and also, you know, the ball movement stuff, like even just, you know, the, you know, drawing defenders over here. Oh, that yeah. opens up this guy, easy bucket, you know. Because when you're young, when you're young and you're playing, you just want to score. You're just like, every time you get the ball, you're like, I, I just want to get my shot off and score, you know. Yeah. And maybe I'm using a pick at the most, you know, right. like, yeah, I just fucking love basketball. I might. I might someday, like in my old man years, like coach us, like my kids' basketball team or something. There you go. Because I feel like I could do it, but like, um, I also don't want to do any of that shit. That's so much. <laughs> True. Um, uh, Celtics this year. I feel like we should talk about. Um, oh yeah, so they're gonna win the championship. Well, I bet money. I bet money they will every year. <laughs> oh, okay. Every year, every year you do that. All right. So I've lost money. On <laughs> yeah. <this team. laughs> yeah you have i've won money on like individual games where i'm like oh we're gonna you know like something's gonna beat the rockets by 12 you know like a couple years ago you know and i'll win like five thousand dollars on that so that i feel like makes it's like i might be even maybe but i'm probably yeah. in there but yeah i mean i don't know man this team i'm a little mad i'm a little mad at, at fate and i'm a little mad at like the fans for the Gordon Hayward, Kyrie, Terry Rozier, Al Horford. Yeah. Window of opportunity that we squandered. What do you mean? You're know? mad at the fans for what? Well, for create for comp. Well, here's the thing. I think Kyrie Irving, you know how there's that quote that goes around every now and then. That's like, I am going to resign in Boston after this season. Oh yeah. Kyrie. Yeah. Um, you know, he said that at the like, you know, the season ticket holder, like event before the season. Right. And then to, he said that too dead in it. Right. He said that to be like, okay, guys, let's focus on basketball. I'm going to, I'm going to resign. So we exactly. Need to talk, we need exactly. to talk about that. And then constantly the media, every time asking it, Oh, what's the point? Yeah. We didn't stop asking him about it. So it pissed him off. And he doesn't want to talk to the media now. Now, we, you know, and it's pissing him off in general that the media is in the locker room. You know, yeah. and, and then he's isolated from the team because he's he doesn't want, you know, I don't know. But I feel like we squandered the whole Kyrie era. Gordon Hayward getting injured is really the death of the Celtics championship hopes. The yeah. NBA was wide open. I felt oh. like we could have got right there against the Warriors, you know, like I agree. Declining I agree, I agree. Warriors. And that was five minutes into the first game that happened. <laughs> that I was just, a heartbreaker. I, just, my wife took a picture of me and I'm just like this. Yeah. And she posted it. It's like Gordon Hayward broke his leg like 20 minutes ago. And I'm like, <laughs> still, yeah. I mean, I think people, everybody was like rewinding. That was like the craziest shit. I was driving. I was driving. So I was listening to Grandy and Max on the radio. And I, Max immediately was like, his leg's broken. His leg's broken. Like he just knew right away. Oh, so once man, I heard cool. him saying that, I was like, how is it that obvious that his leg is broken? Then I saw the footage. I was like, oh yeah, it's fucking broken. Ooh. I would love to see like the numbers though, of how like the, the forces, cause 
he it just folded you know there was no yeah. like resistance it just went straight down Legs are like, not supposed to Whoo. ankles are not supposed to bend like that yeah oh my god yeah you ever seen was, those videos espn does that are like really scientifically impressive where they calculate like he's at a 30 degree angle science here. Chances yeah. of a catch are you know 1.8 percent you know his speed is whatever you know and they they show you all like the the, exactly, the, yeah. the math of it i they could do that for injuries too yeah i yeah. want to watch that but <laughs> i mean i just am so curious because of all the times like that scenario happens where someone just kind of like flails and lands on their back and nothing happens or like you know all of a sudden just right directly straight on a leg and it goes like that it's like whoa oh man jalen brown constantly i feel like jalen brown all the time has these landings that look i agree like and then perfectly fine he's like you know it's like he's just super athletic i guess and his body can handle that because he goes crazy yeah he does he's a little out of control sometimes i love him uh oh he's great i I love him too oh my god sorry i just did a tennis check i can't believe this oh no uh how'd you get into tennis originally so uh my aunt, my aunt always used to watch it when I would go over my dad's house. My, my parents are divorced. So I'd go over my dad's on the weekends, every other weekend. And, but my dad lived at my grandma's house. So my aunt would be there, like all sorts of people would be there. You yeah. know, my aunt was always in the sunroom watching tennis, like just not always watching tennis, but like when the U S open was on, you know, she'd be watching that, Yeah. you know, or the Australian open, you know? And so, you know, from her, she explained the scoring to me, like the 15, 30, 40, you know, deuce scoring and the games and the sets. And so it always confuses me, the scoring, to be honest. Like, because uh, don't you say love on a certain one? Or is that if there's zero? No- yeah, zero. Yeah. I, love I is zero. Do. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah it goes, and then it goes to 15. Right? Yeah. Then it goes right. to 15. Then it goes to 30. Then it goes to four, 40. And the next point wins it. But if the other player gets 40, when you get 40, it's deuce, and meaning you have to get two points to win. So if you get one point and then they get one, you're back at deuce, you know, and you go until someone gets two points in a row, basically. What's and the that's record? a game. Has that ever but, gone like a whole day of people just doing that back and forth to each other? Deuce? Dude, yeah. yeah well, they, they have this new thing where I think it's the French Open, some tournament, a bunch of tournaments have it so – you play in the last set. If it's a tiebreaker, you play until someone wins by two, two games. And so this one, it was one game ended like 29 to 31. Like they had to do 29. Like it's almost like a tiebreaker and they had to play it 50 times. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. uh, But yeah, so I got it. So she taught me the scoring. And then in high school, I played intramural tennis a little bit with like my girlfriend like we'd get high and go to intramural tennis and play tennis you know with other kids and then um but i was really into you know the the characters the andre agassi and um you know leighton hewitt was this like a cool australian player at that time and then um roger federer roger yeah it was too early for federer but i did see like the early beginning or or, well pete sampras was the big one at that time and then um but uh, I saw the beginning of Serena and Venus Williams, who were these two girls from Compton. Right. In like the year 2099. Like, and they're still crazy. doing it. Woo! It's yeah. unbelievable. So, yeah, that's fucking – I mean, that's Tom Brady. That, that, what's yeah. crazy is there's like four 
consecutive Tom Brady's in tennis right now with Serena Williams, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, yeah. and Venus Williams is still going, but she all her titles were long ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. But really, though, my interest in tennis is a lot like, say, for example, like the Celtics are going to play the, you know, the Mavs tonight say the Mavs were on last night and they're playing against Zion in the Pelicans and you see that game's on and you're like, Oh, I'll watch that. Celtics got Mavs tomorrow. They got Doncic and Zion's on that team. Lonzo, you know, uh, Brandon Ingram. That's a dope. That's a dope. That'll be entertaining to watch. Right. Right. There's storylines there. There's implications for you. And so the same thing for me in tennis is like, I got some favorites. I like, I like Rafa Nadal. And so I through through watching Rafa, I've learned of all these other players, you know, and then I learned of Andy Murray, this player from England who uh, was who ascended to the top of tennis, you know? And so like I followed Andy Murray's career. And, and so if I see Andy Murray's on, I'll watch Andy Murray, you know? And so yeah. it's not like I'll just casually watch every fucking tennis match. I don't care that much. But right. like, for example, there's this girl, Bianca Andrescu, who's this 19 year old girl from Canada who's playing right now. And I have the window open, like next to our Zoom window, <laughs> and she's playing against oh, this chick, Cerebase Tormo. I've never watched Cerebase Tormo before, but yeah. I'm watching her because she's playing against Bianca Andrescu, who won the U.S. Open, beat Serena, and is intriguing to me. Yeah, you know, so it's like now I know about her. So if I see her match on, I'm I'm at least like deciding whether or not I fucking watch that. Right. You know? And so really, you know, and then there's exciting players. There's players who are volatile and spaz out, and you know, there's. Oh yeah, there's some psychos in tennis. Yeah, they're fucking John awesome. John McEnroe is wild. John McEnroe is wild. The present day uh person who's like that is this guy Nick Kyrgios. He has he's Australian. He's a Celtics fan. He rocks oh, good. Celtics. I like him already. Yeah. Uh, but he's from Australia. Uh but he he is also known to rock a Giannis Antetokounmpo jersey though. So I don't know okay. about that, but <laughs> playing both um, sides. Not denying his greatness, but <laughs> yeah. um but yeah, so this dude Nick Kyrgios is fucking throwing chairs, talking shit, to telling dudes <laughs> in the crowd he's gonna fuck his wife. Oh you know, my god! Like, he's you know he'll 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 do entire if he's in a bad mood he'll do an entire game where he just like hits it wrong just because he like doesn't John care. John Daly of tennis. That's hilarious. Dude, yeah, and so if I see <laughs> Kyrgios, but but at his best when this dude's locked in, this dude is right there with Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, whatever. So that's why he's, I can't miss a Kyrgios match. I can't, if I see it, I'm scheduling my day around it, you know, to watch yeah, that match. Interesting. You know, yeah. um, those are the best people. I love attitudes. Oh, absolutely. Zlatan. I love Zlatan because uh, he talks shit like that too. I love, I love any NBA player that talks. That that's shit why about. I loved Kevin Garnett. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading his book right now. It's so good. I need that it so bad. Great. Yeah, you got to read it. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I fucking love KG. So, so yeah, so that's that's mainly my interest in tennis is just right. like fucking. Uh, I got into. I knew how it worked, and I just happened to be alive during the greatest era in tennis ever. Yeah, I feel right. Uh, I so I do want to circle back a little bit. You mentioned uh, your band, the Danks. Um, is yeah. now that... you have a band, the Humans, right? Correct. Yes. So yeah, I was gonna ask, when did you start performing alongside live 
uh, instruments like was that constant or did you kind of start that way and then get into the rap like how did that evolve yeah i definitely started in a band playing instruments and then got into rapping and so uh yeah in high school or even before high school in like sixth seventh eighth grade i was playing guitar and we had a band called fight shirt that was me a couple of my homies uh zach zach boston matt sampson and uh zach molten two zachs and, and me and we um and we rehearsed at his you know his, his mom's house our parents would drive us over with our equipment we'd load it all in rehearse we played a show uh, May 5th, the year 2000, played a show, and then our band, they kicked me out of the band, replaced me with Josh Hayes. Oh, fuck Josh. Dude, yeah, fuck he Josh sucks. Hayes. <laughs> We've been saying Amen. that since day one. We don't like Josh. <laughs> <laughs> We've never liked him. Much love to Josh Hayes, who actually is, he deserved it. He deserved it. He's a better guitar player than me. And he's a better skateboarder. He was just cooler in eighth grade by far. He could skate oh, okay. so much better than me. Oh. And so, so anyways... Sick. Yeah, he's so, oh, sick. he's so sick. I hate it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so from there, I go on to to basically start rapping. And, well, first I started making songs that weren't rapping with just me on the computer, you know, like recording. Okay. Um, You know, and then I started rapping. And then the guys in the band and I started rapping together as, like, a rap group. And uh, so we made three albums in high school as – the frothy four you know was the our frothy movie. four yeah that's i love a, it that's such a high school name <laughs> i mean <laughs> we're we're print um, we're making 20 song albums you know oh, we're man. printing them up at the fucking print shop we'd walk there next to dairy queen print the labels you know we're selling them in school for 10 bucks a piece you know and so that awesome so wow, we we're doing it early we we're doing it early i mean this music was this was like we we're very inspired by like d12 and like eminem and oh, you know okay. And so it was all like, I fuck, you know, I fucking rape your mother, your brother, the body, the covered, I'm with the chainsaw, you know, like, is you still have any of these recordings, any CDs left over? Many. Okay. I'm not, Ooh, I'm not them out. I hope they don't okay. make it out. If they make it out, I can never run for governor. Um, <laughs> do you plan on running for governor? I hope not. <laughs> don't let me do that. You ever see me doing that? Talk me out of it. All right. Um, did you guys ever beef with like other crews early on? Like, in a- I still got beef with this dude. So uh, when we were 16, the only place to put out music in the year 2000, there was no SoundCloud, no Spotify, no iTunes, no, I don't even know what you, there was no MySpace, no Facebook, no anything. So the only place you could upload music that people could go press play on somewhere else was your own website or mp3.com so we uploaded all our frothy four songs to mp3.com and our location was wells maine and we were ranked as like the number one you know artist in wells maine frothy four you know it's like nice but then there was this other guy or it was like york county or like whatever you know and then there was this one other guy his name was obese his name was obese obese he was this dude and so i think he was fat and so <laughs> i hope he was otherwise he's so he rapped he rapped and he had this other dude named rapper jones this guy was named rapper jones and so joe <laughs> jones and obese made some songs and they made a song dissing us because <laughs> we were number one they're like oh, no way you're not number one in your county you know it's like whatever oh and no so we made a song dissing them back called no oh, obstacle oh no 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 his name was obstacles now his name is obese now okay. his, nowadays his name's obese 
at the time his name was Obstacles, like Obstacles with a Z. So we call we made this song called No Obstacles. That was it was like we were fucking his mom. We were doing, you know, it was just oh, man. It was classic D12. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was exactly it was, we were 15. <laughs> we're 15. I always say, like, if we had had YouTube, if YouTube had existed when we were 15. We yeah. would have been so famous. We would have been like odd future because yeah. we were just so fucking stupid and didn't give a fuck. Like we were, yeah. just, we were saying the most horrible thing. You know, we're cooking dead babies. We're we're killing like every race of people. We're, it's just <laughs> Jesus awful. It's awful. Oh, whatever man. would make. We we're talking about fucking like dead people. It was like oh, whatever man. would make Sticky One. Whatever would make Sticky One laugh. Yeah, was what I would write. <laughs> <laughs> but also it was all stupid references to like harry potter and like you know like dark wing duck and like whatever stupid like you know yeah jaw rule jaw rule said this you know like <laughs> that is so funny mystical we had like three songs based on how much we wanted to rap like mystical oh, yeah man. <laughs> so this was the stupid shit we were doing just for entertainment so it was like music was always just fucking fun this was like hilarious right. as it should be as it should yeah. be and and so that's almost like what i've been trying to get back to recently not not so much killing everybody but <laughs> yeah yeah being like a genocidal lunatic uh rapist but uh you know just getting back to doing it for fun like did was that fun did i have fun doing that dope you know yeah. like that's it right you know whereas a lot of my life um as a musician in the past 10 years has been based on like how did it do commercially mm. you know how did that sell how does this show go how you know how's is it worth making this video you know oh how many views did the video get yeah do i still like it you know do am i mad about that song because of how people perceived it after i put it out whereas now my thing is just like i enjoyed making that let's make right. another one you know yeah that's yeah. how it should be and yeah. i can understand it's probably like how you got to where you are too because the like anxiety of like is this good enough did that was that received properly and like all those things that you're thinking about and then you get to a point where you have an audience and you can totally have more fun with it. And people are just, they're, they're looking at you to get a view in your world anyways. So the more you can kind of show of you having fun, um, that's what people really want to see. And that'll get a much larger, I always find the biggest, anything I ever see, like I, I love that you brought up odd future. Cause I've shouted them out several times on this podcast. I just love that. Like they're a bunch of friends mm. having fun and they're all doing well. Like it's just, that was great. Odd future was amazing. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was a game show. I mean, I'll never forget the moment I saw the Yonkers video by Tyler, the creator, everything mm -hmm. changed. The whole game changed. Yep. It felt like the first big game changing moment since um, the college dropout, which yep. I think was the last big game changing moment after the Eminem era. You know, the, the, right when Kanye put freeway and most deaf on the same song and merged, yeah, that album changed merged, a lot of things. Oh, merge the underground with, with the industry. And then odd future yep. Mac Miller, that era took the industry out of it all together, mm -hmm. you know, and brought it back to kind of just being you and also circled back to like, you know, the almost like skateboarding culture of like tribe called quest de la soul. Like it was already there. Like it, that was already hip hop. Right. You know? And so, yeah, I just, I, Odd Future, even for me, who was older than Odd Future at the time, I'd already, I was, they were like 18 at the time or something. Yeah. 19. And I was 25. 
So I felt like I was so, I was too old for Odd Future in a way, you know, or whatever, but I was very inspired by it to the point where I went to see Odd Future that first tour right after Yonkers when they played the Paradise in Boston. And I'm up on the balcony watching mosh pits come back to rap. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. And I saw him at the State Theater in Portland, Maine. And even just the energy... I think the kids saved hip hop. Like I think the younger kids saved hip hop because it was at a breaking point where it was like, how much more gangster and blingified and dirty South, you know, Cadillac mm-hmm. rims can we be yeah. before it's a parody of itself, you know, almost. And so when these kids come out just wearing regular old t-shirts, skateboarding, rapping, being funny. And just acting crazy. Going on Jimmy Fallon, jumping on the desk, wearing masks. I, you know, I remember when they came to Boston and they had their pop-up shop. And then they they somehow got onto the roof of Newberry Comics. And they're like <laughs> running across the roof and everyone's going crazy. Oh, my That's God. That's it? Yeah. Oh, man. And so, yeah, I'm just so inspired by them, man. And so I've followed Tyler, the creator. You know, Tyler, the creator understood visually the stuff i'm starting to get now about videos he understood it from day one like his color schemes and his like everything he was always so smart and and hands-on he was doing the video doing the beat doing the whatever he understood the vision for tyler the creator you know and he never compromised it i say to this day oh yeah he's he's unapologetically himself all the time and there's no one else even close to him like personality wise music wise He's, he's definitely got his own thing. I just saw the poster for Bonnaroo today, which they're going to try to do in the fall. And it was like Lizzo, Tyler, the creator. But Tyler, the creator is like the bigger name. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. You know, it's like, that's where he's at. He's at right. like that, that, that size font is like, you're like Adele, Billie Eilish. Yeah, he's up there. The Foo Fighters. You're like, you know, that's who you are to be right there, you know. So yeah. good for him. So yeah, definitely earned it. A few or three years ago, I think, you put out Humans, a 20 an album that you made in 24 hours. Mm. How did you come up with that idea? I don't know. I you don't just, know. I came yeah. up with it in like I come up with a lot of ideas, but yeah, they just they just the, happen. The one <laughs> the ones that I follow through on, I remember the moment I like follow through. So like I sent an email in February, 2017. I forget what year it was, 2018, 2017. I think it was 18. Okay, so February, 2018. So like eight months before this day. Yeah. Send an email to, first I reach out to the studio and I'm like, John, I got this idea. Could we book the studio for a whole three day stretch? One day to prep one day to record and one day to mix. Yeah. And he's, and I was like, I want to go all night, 24 hours. I want to have tons of people. I explained it all to him. And he's like, yo, let's get it. And I was like, send me a rate, you know? And so I put a down payment on it. So it's happening, Yeah. you know, regardless, you know? And so then I send an email, like a mass email to like 60 musicians. I know. And I like, and I have good relationships with and have non bad vibes with Yeah. Um, in Maine, mostly artists who are in Maine. Right. I definitely reached out to a few artists outside of Maine to um, invited them. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, I understood they probably, you know, they probably couldn't go. And right. so we did. Um, 
So that day didn't, did Chris Webby end up on that album? I think he was on one song, wasn't he? Or was that a different? He album? wasn't. I think I talked to him about coming. Oh, okay. I, I bet you know. I bet if I did it again, yeah, yeah, I could get some heads through. You know, people yeah. have said that to me before. They're like, hey, if you ever do that again, right? Um, but uh, yeah. So I get on. You know, at this point though in my life, I've managed tour. You know, I've done tours. I've, I've done large Christmas concerts where I manage maybe 30 people or so, you know, a lot of emails in advance, a lot of emails with the venue, a lot of checking with people, you know, so I'm, I'm at this point getting pretty good at my organizational skills of managing people, I think, you know, and Mm -hmm. so I'm feeling confident enough that I could pull this off. You know what else I'd also done at this point was I'd made the app. I made a, I made a mobile app. I wanted to ask you about that too. And since I have done that, I feel confident that I can manage making an album in one day. Yeah. And so basically the day comes, but the the thing was, there was the stipulation was we can't come in with any demos or ideas. So there was really nothing I could do in the days leading up to it, except schedule people and figure out who's coming, what time of the day. All right. So so-and-so is coming through, like, for example, Be All, the rapper Be All is this rapper from Maine who I yep. loved, good, good kid, and he was coming through, but he couldn't come through till like, 10 p.m. So I knew Be All was coming at 10 p.m. after we started at 10 a.m., Yeah, you know, so it was like, I know to preserve some sort of beat or energy or vibe or, or something for him at that time or, or some sort of room, because this studio has, like, eight different rooms you can be in. Okay. You know, not every room is a full-on mixing console studio but it's a room that's soundproof with a desk and whatever and we got laptops so we're making music in eight different rooms yeah and so i'm setting up like writer camp basically like dave got you know you dave gutter uh you know dan boyd and the drummer john roos from rustic overtones uh the the piano player from sly chi who i used to play with was in a band that backed me up you know and you know this other guy I'm like, yo, everybody go in this room. I got this idea for a song that's called Humans and it's like lions and tigers and bears. There's only one thing that's got them all scared, humans. You know, and I was like, the vibe would be like David Bowie, uh, Modern Love. I was like, I like played it on my phone. I was like, you know, you know, I'm like telling them that. And so then I give almost like a, almost like a teacher would be like, all right, you're this group, group A, your assignment is this, boom, go. And so they go off and do that. Then I go in this room with this other keyboard player, saxophone player, bassist dudes I know. And I'm like, all right, I got this other idea for a song because I've been thinking of them now all morning since I woke up. Right. You know, so we make this other song. And then I plant enough seeds around the studio that morning. I'm like, you three, I got these three ideas. Go take them up to this room, see what you come up with. So by this point, I've now set into motion like 10 or 12 songs out into the studio that are like ideas to like even even just like a vibe idea like yo you two see yeah. what you guys come like channing and dave gutter they went and made like three or four beats like channing's a, a producer goddamn chan and dave gutter's a guitarist yeah. dave gutter could play fucking anything and so from, put, uh, rustic overtones right from rustic overtones exactly yep. and so gutter's my dude at this point but we hadn't we had only made music you know just me and him solo but i knew what dave's capable of so all day I'm taking advantage of Dave's skill set and putting him in positions to succeed all over the album. Yeah. You know, and so then I get it to the point where by about maybe like two, 2 PM I I'm in the studio, I'm in the car 
hiding from all the studios, writing verses to all the songs that they're dropboxing me to my phone, you know, just to be out because I'm too easy to distract. And also, yeah, like, yeah. if I'm in there, you know, I'm in charge. So someone's going to ask me something, you know. Right, right. And so, and so long story short, man, by 6 a.m., we had made a, an album. It's called Humans. And I, I, my goal was just something that could hang with the rest of my catalog, you know, and I think we more than pulled it off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Were you surprised with the, uh, with the outcome? Did you think you would be able to do it? Yeah, I, I was confident, you know, yeah. I was, pretty, I was definitely confident. It definitely wasn't the album I thought it would be in right. my head before going into it. Like I was envisioning this whole other vibe. Yeah. And so, but what's cool about it, man, is we made it all in one day. So it was like, by the time I reheard it all on Monday, it was all new to me. It was like the first time I'd ever heard Dispose album the way someone else was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or close to it. You know, I was like, damn, like, oh, we made the, oh, it's crazy. You know, it's just it's insane. You know, and I was so proud of the level of musicality to it. You know, I wish I could have had another week on it. You know, yeah. obviously, like I would have been, it would have been a whole different album by then. Right. But like, uh, no, I'm, I'm so pleased with it, man. I really just think it stands, stands the test of time. And I think it's like, I think, it, and, and you know what, man, above all kind of circling back to what we were talking about, about like when you're a kid, why you get into start making music and then like today and then all, you know, all of it is that day that we did that, we all had the most fun ever. Right. It was the best shit ever. It was everywhere. <laughs> we, it was the greatest shit ever. It was the greatest shit ever. Avery Bradley game winner on LeBron. LeBron, exactly. And then that <laughs> happened. Uh, that but, did happen after you made that song i remember that i mean i remember when that that shot happened and i was like suppose wrote a song about <laughs> wait, till, wait, you, wait till you see all the shit i'm gonna predict on the new one word <laughs> so but, uh, talk about yeah. the app though for a little bit because you that was that was a really cool idea i'd never seen anyone do that before you put out an app ahead of the good luck with your life album mm-hmm. and there was a game on the app i played the game um, and you could unlock songs before they came out. Yes. And that's, that's that? an idea you came up with on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I came up with that in probably 2016. Yeah. And I, um, yeah. And I made it happen. Basically I, I came up with this idea that like I would make a game and when you beat a level, you would unlock a song on my new album, you know? And I really, I mean, I mean, I guess I, I could spend forever talking about this app, man. I think the thing I, it really boils down to is I had an idea. I saw it through. I made this app. It's called Spose the King of Maine. You can still go download it and play it. I'm very proud of it. It's like a very impressive feat. Like it's an impressive yeah. thing to pull off. I can't believe we did it. I did it with these two programmers or three programmers who are all who are all like 19, 20 years old at the time. Uh, this kid, Brad Oaks. This kid, Marcus Gosselin, and then their leader, who I hired him and he hired them, was this kid, Quentin Campbell. And so I'd make songs, and then every day I'd go up and I'd get with Quentin Campbell. And I'd yeah. go sit in his apartment with him and his girlfriend. They're in college. And like we, I'd go sit in the apartment with my laptop, and I'd program the app, and he'd program the app. And I'd link with Hanji, who was doing the art, who's this girl who's uh, – her and her husband do this thing called O-Chang – comics o-chang studios it's like south park on youtube kind of but maine and so i know i'd known them so i hired her you know it was very expensive i probably spent you know just out of pocket my own money like thirty two thousand dollars making the app wow. you know and, and so <laughs> yeah 
And so I made, so I did that. And then I put it out and I really was pretty confident. This would just like blow the doors off for me. Like I was like, this is going to change everything. Everybody's going to be hitting me up, realizing I'm a marketing genius. How do I, Hey, would you market the new, you know, Adele album suppose you're such a genius like I can't believe you can't this app. we want an app how do we get an app like that can we hire you guys you know like that's what I think is going to happen and I'm like oh and everybody's gonna they're all gonna be like this is the most revolutionary way to like release an album ever like who's ever thought of this that's and, what I thought and, and so certainly there was a, a a bit of that from the people who know me yeah everybody yeah. who already knows me hit me up and gave me love which is great but the whole point of it was to meet, was to uh, reach new people. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it achieved that goal, you know, really for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a few, maybe a few people, there's definitely a couple articles that got written about me that were like, Whoa, this is, you know, whatever, but it didn't do the seismic, you know, type of life-changing thing. I thought it would, what the life-changing thing it taught me was $32,000. Cause you could just go buy a car like in cash. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking <laughs> when you said that I was like, that's like a, down payment on a small house like that could be anything you know but uh yeah man and i you don't have to spend that on physical assets though it's money well invested on that experience yeah and i learned a ton that was another that was like another version of going to college cost it cost like it was too you know and like um (laughs) well because a i learned how to manage people it was the first time i'd ever had like people under contract getting paid out of my pocket on salary you know, basically per their work, you know, managing animations. I've never an- managed like animator files and putting, they're called sprites in a game and you make a sprite and then it's playable within the game. You know, I learned coding. I learned this app Unity. You know, I learned how to test a mobile app on multi. I still have like Android cell phones laying around over here that I bought just to test the app, you know, and yeah. like, you know, so I learned a ton which I still use and apply today, but I think the big lesson I learned is um, I don't need to, I shouldn't spend that much money on marketing when there's cheaper ideas. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless yeah, someone else is funding it. I have an app. I have more app ideas. I got more. I just don't have the fucking time or patience yeah. or like the willingness to risk my money as much. Yeah. Well, I thought it was genius. Thank you. Yeah. I did too. <laughs> it, it definitely was. I mean, I'm surprised other artists haven't haven't caught on to that. Have, has anyone else done that since you? Some people have done. So. Some people have done. Yeah, no, somebody did, but it wasn't as good. Yeah. It certainly didn't have a whole fucking album. Right. It wasn't out yet. You know, that was like the big bait. Was like, yo, this being is being able to like unlock that. the songs. Like that's that's what drew me into it. I was like, oh, I want to unlock the songs. And it, it, I mean, it was really three apps in one because it was a store. It was like a, a store you could buy credits and pine cones and unlock all the songs. Yeah. That's one app. And then there's another, the other app was a music player. It had its own built in music player with a pine cone currency system to play, the collect in the game to play this. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. And then the game itself is a runner like Mario. Yeah. You know, which you I got to get like, you got to get Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees and stuff like. 
Yeah, I, and, and, we, and also, you know, at this point, I'm studying video games. I'm studying games. What makes you feel satisfied when you get something in a game? Which, get, mm. you know, I watch whole fucking TED Talks about this shit. You know, so it's like, I'm always ready to educate myself on something else, you know, something right. new. And I think that's a curiosity I hope will stick with me my whole life till I'm old. And, you know, I'm, I was even just the other day. I don't, think, I don't think that's going anywhere at this point. No, no. <laughs> that's just who you are. Yeah. And I, but that's the fun part. I'm realizing that's the, right. that's what's cool. That's what life's about. It's like, did, you know, Oh, I learned even just like making a song is learning a new thing. Yeah. You know? So it's like, I love learning. I love learning a new thing, you know, and that'll always, I think, keep me excited. And so the app and, and I'm ready to risk my time for the pet, for, for, for the enjoyment of that. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I like doing that. You know, I like, I like making stuff, you know, in the, in the time it takes, like I just made a music video last week and it took me a couple weeks leading up to the music video of preparation. I was really focused on this, you know, I'm ordering shit. I'm drawing shit on paper. I'm, you know, a lot of text messages. And, um, and then I saw the video today and I was like, did it, you know, that was fun. That, so it makes all that stress of it worth it a sometimes, but it's really, but it's not about putting the video out and seeing the public reception to it, it's, oh, I had this idea. I made the idea. That makes me happy to see the idea. I had fun making the idea. You know, that's right. that thing. Um, right before the interview, we were right before you came on, we were watching your commencement speech at Wells High School from 2018. Thank you. What did that mean? What did that mean to you? What did oh, that mean man. to you to be asked to come speak at your high school? That must have been pretty cool. Yeah, it meant a lot, man. Um Great speech, too, I have to say. Thank you, man. I, uh, oh, man, you know, uh, it meant a lot. It was almost like, um, it was almost like, uh, like a real full circle moment for me, you know, obviously, like coming back, yeah. coming back there is kind of obvious, but just it kind of was like the validation of it all, you know, it was like all I was trying to do was impress those people anyways you know right so to get to ask to come back and then you know a lot of my life is aware very self-aware of the you know perception of me or whatever so i would just assume going in you know i'm as i'm writing that speech i'm aware they think i'm some dumb rapper mm. you know if they don't know me yeah which, i mean this is 10 years removed from when i was in high school if not more so it's like uh I don't know most of these people. Right. You know, I don't know a lot of these parents whose kids are graduating this year. I don't doesn't know doesn't everyone in Wells, Maine know Spose though? Wouldn't you think? Sure, sure. <laughs> but I think a lot of them might just know I'm awesome because it's the same way as yeah. like um, the rest of my stuff. Is like there's definitely a percentage of people who know for sure. Yeah. Maybe a higher percentage than a lot of places. But you yeah. know, a lot of these parents are you know these are like people I don't know you know, and so I really felt you know that like a uh, type of energy going into the speech that I had people to prove wrong which i guess is kind of my like under underlying motivation all the time but like um you know i wanted to give a good speech and i also wanted to subvert the expectation of a of a graduation speech too it was full of all these like basic like quotes you know and like yeah. boring shit that like doesn't apply or like not keeping it real yeah with the kids with 18 year olds you know because it's like yeah. Like when you were like, for most of you, everything goes wrong in your twenties. Like that was the realest shit. 
Because nobody's going to tell you that. Nobody but it's tells like, them that. Isn't exactly. that crazy? It's like, right. who, oh, man. And they're go- and I bet if but they it's like, that- if they know that, they're going to be ready for it. And it's not going to be as, as terrible for them. <laughs> man. Well, that's exactly it. And so that's what I was trying to give them was like legit. I mean, honestly, I said to somebody told me, they're like, I go back and re-listen to it. I do too. To remind myself of the things you said, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I always, I always listen to the part where you're like, when at all possible, like try to be happy right now. Like, and you talk about like, people are always like, oh, I'll be happy when I get out of work or when I lose 10 pounds or something like that. That's my favorite part. I think about that part a lot. (laughs) Thank you, man. And I mean, that's a person, I mean, that all just comes from like me struggling with it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I learned my own mechanisms for whatever. And that's just me imparting it on everybody else. But like, um, yeah, man, I, I, um, one of my, like a transformative moment in my life was in eighth grade. I had this teacher called Mr. Peliquin, who was also my soccer coach in high school, but he, um, he was my English teacher and he started assigning us essays. It was the first time I've really been assigned like a full on essay, you know, like up until eighth grade, it had been like, Oh, pay a book review or what, you know, small writings, maybe like a, a, you know, one of those like boring research papers with all the citing the bibliography or whatever. But this was like a opinion essay. Like, how do you feel? What are you, what do you, how do you feel about this? You know? And so this is the first time I got to do that. And he started signing those and he had us like read them in class. And I just remember everybody like listening intently as I was like reading mine in class and him being like, yep. You know, he's like, he's like, and then the, the next essay and he'd be like, Ryan, you want to read yours? And I was like, yep. You know, I definitely wanted to read mine. And so then there was a speech competition that year in Maine called like the, it's called the civic oration competition. And so like, everybody could you do your speech in front of the class and then they pick like the top whatever's in the class and you go to the school and then you go to the you know if you win the school you go to the york county one if you win that one you go to the state one and so i made it i went to the state competition doing the speech competition when i was in eighth grade and so when i was writing the graduation speech i was thinking about that i was like yo this was this was like the full circle moment i now know how to give a speech i've done a lot of public speaking now like I, I'm going to like, is it this is me going to win the state competition? You know, it was like this speech, but I was so, I was so nervous about it that like, I wish I, I wish I could go give another speech to do an even better one. I thought it was pretty good. Thanks, man. He'll probably have you back. Yeah, I'm sure. Hopefully. So, uh, I pulled up an old tweet of yours nice. um, from 2018 uh, I just wanted to ask you about this. You said when you're eight, because I, I always remember this tweet. You said when you're 18, consider getting a small business loan or buy some land or a parking lot or something. Probably a safer investment than college. Elaborate. <laughs> Elaborate. Ooh, you guys are <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that be that I mean that I'm not saying don't go to college yeah. in your life. I'm it's saying when you're 18. I'm saying it might not be the smartest thing to do at 18 given a what it co- if you could get a full scholarship to a college at 18 right. go to college cuz that is a bargain yeah most people can't most people end up in a lot of debt that the job they get out of college doesn't pay enough to pay off the debt before you start owing all this money on the debt you're thus in the debt cycle at like 19 yeah you can never get a leg up. You can never save, you know, unless you maybe get more college, you know, and then you, you know, and then the next goal is, um, 
you know, uh, buy a house. That's another debt. You know, that's an, oh, that's, that's an asset that can grow. But once you pay off a 30 year loan, like you're in debt, you know, if you've got a house basically, you know? And so, um, the, uh, so at eight, not to say you don't buy a house at some point, not to say you don't go to college at some point, but just consider that at 18, um, that's not the smartest move. You haven't, you haven't even had one year of full work yet to save money, to have a foundation to build on yet, you know, before you start taking gigantic risks, like hundred thousand dollar loans, you know, it's like, they don't pitch that to you enough as the gigantic risk it is. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I would be, I was, I, you know, I got kids. I was talking about like my kids, like I'd rather you take out a hundred thousand, $150,000 small business loan, try to run a business and fail at it mm. even then do that. Cause you're going to learn so much about how the real world works. Like you can go to college all, all, all you want, but then when you get into the, the place where it's like, Oh, now I got to pay taxes on this, you know, this, and I got to do salary. They don't, it's like, college doesn't necessarily prepare you for that at all. No. So the real fucking world does. And so it's like, if you can just throw yourself into that, but even just acquiring, you know, assets at that age, like a, like a parking lot, for example, I said, like land, like stuff like that, like that costs less than college. Right. You know? And so it's like, I mean, some people, I started a business with like, I started the business suppose with like a thousand dollars, maybe, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> less than that. It was $750, you know? So it's like, you know, if you could get a hundred thousand dollar loan, you can transformatively do something, most likely something that you're really passionate about. Worst case you fail at it and have the entire lessons of how to never do that again, how to, <laughs> right. you know, and how to, how to do it right the next time. And so, Yeah, I just think, um, however, you know, lots of great relationships and and scenarios and and educations come out of going to college also. So there's, it's not to say there's a right answer for everyone. It depends on who you are. Yeah. But I think in America, we're given this one like cookie cutter possibility you're supposed to do. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's too much pressure on kids to go to college right out of high school. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. I oh, wish I didn't. I wish fucking, I didn't, honestly. Right? Also, who's the only people responsible enough at 18 to do that are like complete nerds. <laughs> like that's true. the only like at 18, you are a to it's almost like you're trying to two, climb two separate mountains at the same time. It's yeah. like I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to learn how to drink. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying yeah. to make as new friends in a new location you're trying to do all these new things i'm trying to stay up all night i'm trying i'm finding all this new music yeah Yeah, we're going to vermont to my roommate's house you know and then (laughs) simultaneously you're trying to get an education to get a degree yeah it's like there's a lot going on yep you know whereas if you do that when you're like 24 and you had like a baby you're gonna take that shit a lot more seriously absolutely yeah, you know, it's funny. Talking. I I was in. I remember having classes with people that were in situations like that, where they either like joined the military right out of high school, or like did something that they were starting their degree later. And 
I always found those guys were taking that way more seriously. They were real. They were the ones up late studying, yeah. like really like front front row, like knowing every answer every time. That's those are the people who knew how the world worked. They'd been out there. Now they're back. Like this is a skill I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna come in here and learn it. So, and, and that's, I guess to your point, you were saying it's it's really about passion. And I think because you can you can fail and you can succeed, but you got to try something. And if you're trying something that you don't love. It, you could still fail at it. And why would you fail at something you didn't even love? So it's kind of weird to do, to even waste time like that. So if people know, like, I want to do business, I want to do engineering or something like you can totally go to college. Like you were saying, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, right. but if you do feel that there's some passion that maybe you could pursue and not have to take that big loan, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean, if you are going to take the big loan, like, it, yeah, it, hopefully you're one of those people, like you said, who I, I fucking love engineering. I have been drawing bridges for all of high school. Like if that if that's you there, I don't know if there's a better place on earth for you than a college that teaches you that at that age when you're passionate and, you know, you know or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think college, I think I think the education and the experience of college is fantastic. I just think the debt attached to it is a insane risk, especially yeah. at 18. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I went to college to be a communications major, which is just me picking one by default. Me too. <laughs> that was my first a, major. Oh my God. Okay. Changed yep. to a graphic design major. Okay. And I transferred a year later and then changed to an English major. This is $70,000 later. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, what a stupid fucking. Right. It's spending all, all spending all this money to just like kind of try to figure out what you want to do. It doesn't make any sense. Like a 30 year old isn't going to do that. Right. I'm going to get like a year into something and be like, man, I think I want to do this. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Fucking a dude. Like it's so it's just, you know, especially in America, man, it's just that that's not the age to do that. You know, in a way it's like, I think we need to normalize going to college when you're old, you know, going to college. Hey, I agree. Old. You know, and uh, I agree. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad that's the quote you dug you dug up, and not like some other crazy shit I said. Oh no! <laughs> You're like, can you answer about this tweet from 2010, sir? Yeah, right. Oh, shit. <laughs> about to get you canceled. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Let's just go scrub those before we post this episode. So people are gonna please. Get yeah, no, every, people try to people. <laughs> Uh, people try to cancel me. No, uh, the like the W E E I sports fanboys try like of old men try to cancel me every now and then but if i'm that's the only people who've ever tried to cancel me they're like oh they're digging up my old tweets and oh i can't believe you said this you know they're like digging up all my old tweets or whatever oh man and it never works because i was never like you can't cancel me if i wasn't like in with you to begin with like right like i'm not even i don't even know you you know (laughs) like i didn't cool i'm canceled you don't get to you. decide Good. if i'm canceled right yeah. yeah yeah it's like it's like canceling me in some country i've never heard of it's like all right well i wasn't going there anyway. <laughs> yeah that's the glory of social media everyone thinks that they're the ones being heard yeah <laughs> everyone's got a voice now fucking sucks yep uh we'll let you go soon but i just got a couple more things yeah no give it to me man uh the children's book pinecone pete is not impressed 
Yeah, I made a book. Well, so my big, so you, so you said the album in a day, the the app, the yeah. I'm I'm getting all your creative ventures. Yeah. So so the reason for those truly is that a I've got you know ideas and I want to follow through on them and I like experiencing new things. Each of those is a new thing I've never done before, um, but each of them is connected to an to an album. Each one, you know. So the app was Good Luck with Your Life. The album in a day was the album in a day, and the uh, and the Pinecone Pete was We All Got Lost, which is my last album. And, um, you know, my basic thought behind that is that um, I really want people to know my music. I really want more people to know about my music. And so I don't believe making good music is enough. And so I try right. to do something extra, especially in Maine, where it's very easy to manipulate the media to talk about you. Mm. you know where if you do anything it's newsworthy like if i you know <laughs> is it really he could i could probably throw this book at the dunkin donuts window and i would be on the news and the, you know you'd be, like, you'd be the in the portland that's gotten Herald. you in the news oh man i mean <laughs> the, i got several uh one of the most funny thing that's ever got me in the news was i said on my song the king of maine that i got susan collins giving yes brain Yep. The, the the senator i said i got susan collins i remember you got no. backlash for that <laughs> I, yeah i said i got susan collins sucking everyone's dicks and they put, <laughs> and they put it in this some other person some other like group who i don't know why well, like know this guy but i don't know why he did this he runs like a production company and he was making a video documenting the person who was running against susan collins in the senator senatorial race this guy mike mishu and so they made a video for him and they put in my song, the part where I say, I got Susan Collins giving everyone brain. And it, <laughs> and it, and it becomes this like political, like firestorm. It's on like CNN's calling me and like NPR's calling me and like, Oh man, you know, and it was, and, uh, and it was, uh, so that was stupid. That was hilarious. That what was, was awesome. what was the inspiration behind that bar? You're not a Susan Collins fan, obviously. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not really like, actually physically forcing any old women to give blowjobs but yeah i didn't think so i didn't in the song so. i have the artistic freedom to right, say of course of that course. as the king of maine i decree yeah. that i'm wearing this you know this i got a seagull you know i got whatever on my chain you know yeah. i'm driving in i'm driving in the plow truck i got the all We're, wearing a seal skin jersey to the sea dogs game wear seal skin i'm wearing seal skin i'm Killing a seal and wearing its body to the minor league baseball game. And I'm getting Susan Collins, the senator, the old lady senator, to suck everyone's dick. That's what I said in the hook. And so they didn't like that. But I the can best see why part that bothered came, people. Yeah, it was great. Well, it was just awesome when that happened. And then because all press is good press, you know, it's all yeah. it's all great. Until you're like, unless you're like Louis C.K. It's like that's like the cutoff. <laughs> Like if you pull your dick out yeah. and jerk off in front of people who don't want to see it, that's the line. <laughs> that's the line right there. Yeah. If no, you pull your di- if you do it in front of people who do want to see it, that's on this side of the line. Right. Of course. Yeah. There's just yeah. a line right area. There. Yeah. And so so yeah so um, that time was funny. I was in the news because I got robbed on tour one time. Oh, in um, St. Louis, I remember that. You yeah. lost a whole album, right? Yeah, I, I ended up finding the demos and released it as the stolen album. On it's on Bandcamp and cassette, but the uh, 
Right. Yeah, I lost like a whole. I lost my whole laptop. My laptop had all my albums and my backup hard drives were in the backpack. So, Oof. yeah, pretty grim. Uh, been on the news. I mean, when we did the album in a day, we were all over the news. They were like yeah. we're local musicians, sports, you know, assembles, all star <laughs> cast in Wyndham. To you know, <laughs> miracle out. We were in all. We were in the paper. You know, I mean, I was in the news. I was on the news for marching in a protest. You know, it was like yeah, just too easy. Yeah, they're just covering you. <laughs> well, Are when you, you're the king of Maine, talk about that makes sense. You gotta you're talk about the king of Maine. No, yeah, no. when when you're the king of Maine, every everything's newsworthy, I guess. Well, so hopefully, I, I, I you know, my next move stirs up some news. We'll see what happens with it. But yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm always trying to, always trying to grow the fan base. But um, you know, at this point, I'm I'm trying to focus less on that, which I is kind of all I've focused on for the past like. 10 years and maybe the reason I did the app and the children's book and the album in a day in a way. And so I'm trying to get away from that and get kind of to, um, shit. I just had fun at making this song, you know, mm-hmm. and I love, I love playing this song, you know, for my, for my friends, from my kids, yeah. song, you know, getting back to your roots. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I'm just trying to try. I mean, I even have a song on the new album that's called, you know, uh, close, close to me. You know, that's the hook. I'm just trying to get close to me, you know, yeah. close, closer to the real me. Because all you need is you. Because all you need is you. <laughs> you know. God damn. Um, that, uh, oh, I thought of that song earlier when I was asking about rappers for Maine because the the dude at the hardware store, Pleasure Pete. You know him? Yeah, Pleasure Pete. Yeah. yeah. He's from Maine, right? He's from New Hampshire. He's from Manchester. Oh, he's from New Hampshire. Okay. No. He's from Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. Um, he'd be offended if I said he was from Manchester. <laughs> Not that Na- I don't know if Nashua is better, but Decap, the producer, is from Nashua too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Shout out to Pete. Big um. Yeah, we can let you go. This has been this has been long. <laughs> you got one more question. You don't have to skip it if you got it. Oh, and you Ooh. got anything? Who is your favorite rapper in the New England area? And who's your least favorite rapper? Oh my in God. The New he, area? No, no, no. We're not doing this. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Jack likes to he likes to think that that's a fun question, but then when I ask it, he just makes me sound like the biggest asshole ever. <laughs> Real I talk though, who is like your favorite in the area? Um, my favorite rapper in New England. Wow, that's a good one. I, I got a list a few. Yeah, and give I, us the top five. Yeah. I really like Annoyed from Connecticut. Oh, Annoyed's so good. I really like Annoyed. Um, I think he I love Jay-Z, so I love Annoyed. You know, I love the the lyricism. I love the the I love it. Yeah, I love Annoyed. Yeah. Um I love Shane Rise. I'm a big Shane Rise fan. I I yes. always listen to Shane Rise. He's I was I was talking to him recently. We're trying to get him on the podcast. Hopefully soon. I hope you do. I'll listen, yeah. man. Um, I like Shane Rise. Uh, man, all my friends. I'm always inspired to hear my friends rap. You know. Yeah. So shout out to everybody I know. I'll try to go outside of the people I I fuck with though. Sarah Violet. Yeah, shout out Sarah. I mean Jay Spin. I love Jay Spin. Jay Spin's awesome. You know, um, I mean, Cam Grove's been inspiring me since I was rapping in 2000. Yeah. So you, know? you and Cam Groves, did you like, are you the same age? Did you go to school together? Cam Groves is the grade above me. Okay. School. 
at Wells. Yeah. Okay. So we're always in the same at Wells from fifth grade to eighth to, to graduate high school. Um, he graduated a year before me, but um, yeah, I was looked up to Cam. I was trying to impress Cam. I was trying, you know, it's Cam, I would run, you know, but when Cam and his homies like embraced me in high school, cause I achieved coolness to the point where you could hang out with the older kids, you know, <laughs> whatever at the party, you know, and go hang out with them during the week or whatever, which was my, it was a big deal. I was trying yeah, to impress camp. I was trying to impress Casey Mack. I was trying to get, you know, I was trying to trying to like hook up with like senior girls, you know, <laughs> like trying to get there, you know, yep. legendary yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> legendary stuff in high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was trying to do that, you know? And so, um, yeah. And so, so obviously all those MCs, you know, from Maine, I love Pete pleasure. Pete, you mentioned, I love, um, but annoyed from Connecticut. I'm always impressed and happy for um, Chris Webby. Um, yeah. I think he's far exceeded everyone's expectations. And Chris Webby's fucking crazy paid off his music, man. It is mm-hmm. stupid the amount of money <laughs> Chris Webby gets off his music. It is unbelievable, man. And that's a big shout out to him and his persistence and his team and all those guys. And um, man, who else? Who else? You know, lots of OGs from, you know, obviously I'm inspired to see um, – token and joiner lucas you know succeed um i'm inspired to see even like uh millie's you know succeed um yeah what's that chick bia you know or like uh uh millie's is yeah he's been doing a lot beans yeah with a z beans you know her she was on like the oh yeah yeah yeah. she was wait is she from boston I think so. I think she's from Massachusetts. Man. Wait, she, she faced flawless real talk. She's the one right? who battled. She's the one who battled flawless real talk on the on that show. Yeah, I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 She's <laughs> and then um, you know, terminology. I mean, for me, the terminology. Big, yeah. The big inspiring terminology thing. Is a legend. The big inspiring thing for me is seeing people from around here push it in new directions to take it further than it's been. You know, Joyner Lucas doing an album with like Chris Brown. As yeah. much as fuck Chris Brown is like a, is a new level for people from New England. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, we can achieve that. You know, it's and, and so it's all inspiring to me. You know, but <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but think of the woke up Ray Rice and Chris Brown died bar. But <laughs> fuck, them. fuck domestic abusers, man. Yeah, I've been right. on that tip since day one. The uh uh you know, and so all those dudes inspire me. But my, so my favorite rapper from New England, I guess, outside, I really like Annoyed. Annoyed's probably my favorite rapper right now from outside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, but additionally, I also got to shout out Mr. Liff and Acrobatic. And Yes, uh, the Perceptionist. Because, yeah, the Perceptionist. Going down to see Mr. Liff when he was on Def Jux and he did the Emergency Rations album, I went down to that CD release show. And there was like Eden, I think Aesop Rock was there. All sort, you know, it was like a big, it was at axis in boston which closed shortly after that you know soon after that i think and um that show i was maybe 15 or so around the time we were doing the frothy four and that really made me feel fall in love with hip-hop there was like cyphers in the crowd this is a big Mm -hmm. show for me and so shout out to mr liff and and acrobatic and them for you know showing me you could play axis you know you could do this cool underground hip-hop thing on the deaf jux level which to us in high school was like odd future or whatever you know right yeah, so, yeah. I mean, being 15 on a real stage like with a crowd i can't that at in my oh, i wasn't on stage i was just a fan i oh, was just at the show even i was still. just in the crowd enjoying it 
Um, but I, I, you know, I was on stage. I kind of didn't answer your first question about the band. I, I was on stage, you know, in front of people in high school a couple of times, only like small crowds, but it is very exciting and nerve wracking, even when it's like the first, like five people, you know? Mm. So once you do get to that whole nightclub full of people, you know, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. That environment's just a totally different thing. And we've said that before, like the five people in front of you, even though it's a smaller crowd makes you more anxious than a big crowd because that big crowd's like a different animal. You don't have to look at people in the eye. It's like you're not focused on like one person, like it's just a sea of people. Yeah. I'll try not, I'll try to say this real quick, but Dave gutter from the rustic overtones, whenever he plays a show, the fewer the people are at the show, the better he plays. (laughs) He's incredible. He's incredible. If the venue's sold out, obviously, but if there's like six people there, he's performing like the show of his life <laughs> because he's like, fuck this. You know, he's like pissed that that, yeah. that there's not enough people there. Right. And I'm going to melt their brains just to spite them. You know, it's like, well, you know, pissed, you know? Um, I love, love it. That is All right, great. man. Yeah. Thank I you for coming on. This is awesome. Thank you. This. Yeah, this was unbelievable. This thank was you for great. taking the time. I'm going to go check in and see how bad the Celtics were doing. I'm uh, sure they lost. I haven't even. Looks uh, like Bianca Andrescu won, so that's good. Celts lost by five, 113 to 108. Seriously? Yeah. Luca had 36 points. Oh, God. Okay. All right. I'm not watching. first. Now. Yeah. So I'm not I, watching I, it now. Save, save you the time. Oh, was it recorded? Bro? Oh, did, wait, sorry. you recorded it? I was going to watch it. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, I, I, but, <laughs> but I'm glad you just saved me. It would have been an hour and no, a half. I did. I like, did. I saved I'm you. Like, well, I'm sorry. You're having a game, you know. I am like, so no. sorry, but no. yeah. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> Boston's big three. You don't even care. No, I'm <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Busy Spose. Peace. Later. Peace.